0: Hear ye, hear ye, come one, come all, you are listening to the Sixth Sense Report with Joel Nikoloff and Darnell Samuels.
1: Yo, man, do you know where I'm reporting from?
0: Um, you're home in Mississauga?
1: My quarantine bunker, bro. Oh,
0: quarantine bunker, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back from what, Florida, your time away. Yeah,
1: man, so, I mean, for the audience, you probably haven't realized, I mean, we, have a, we haven't released a show in a couple weeks, but... Um, I, I was AWOL. I, 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 it's basically November 25th. The government told me I couldn't play hockey no more, so I dipped and took off to Florida. I just came back uh How earlier. long were you gone Actually, for? Uh, well, I came back yesterday, so like 32 days, 33 days, something like that. Um, I mean, I, was, I wasn't on vacation. I was more like working holiday, sort of. I mean, half work, half vacation. I had the ability to work remotely, so... Mm -hmm. you know uh but yeah being in florida i mean people are going to tell me i'm crazy for going to florida because they listen to the news and don't actually look at any of the numbers i mean if you look at florida as like uh let's say cases per million in comparison to you know other states they're basically you know doing far better than places like california that are locked down to the crazy and and they're sort of in line with everybody else but but you know of course the government told you or government well basically the government but the politicians and the uh you know, the media told us how Florida was doomed because their governor refused to, you know, sort of have any of these crazy mandates be in- allowed.
0: So they, did, they didn't They did stick anything up your nose?
1: No, uh, I basically, I came home, I went there, you know, I didn't have to do any tests. I got to stay home for 14 days. Let's just say I'm very blessed that uh, I have a mother who loves me. came home to like a fully stocked house full of food because we're not allowed to leave. So, you know, I got family to hook me up. Uh, so that it made it life easier. We were actually hoping the the rapid tests would get rolled out before, which would have made quarantine a lot faster. But uh, I guess with all this craziness, you know, people weren't too happy if, uh, I guess, the rapid test showed up at the airport. Anyways, yeah. I mean, but it what's crazy, like, you know, in Florida, it was normal. Like, r- honestly, you see people wearing masks, like, in the grocery store. But you know, there's no, the the governor prevented them from enforcing the mask mandates, but I would still say like 95% of people are wearing masks. You know, you go to a restaurant, the capacity is not limited, but they did things, you know, you're supposed to wear a mask to the, to the, uh, to the table. You know, they probably, uh, I was at a, we were at a, a pizza place and they had put like, um, you know, shields between the, the, uh, booths. Right. So, Technically, there's like a plastic shield in between each of the booths. Um, But in general, like, you know, no businesses are shut. You know, all the businesses are going, Um, you know, I would say most, you know, they might have had some reduced capacity stuff, but in general, you know, it felt like relatively normal life. And, And I would argue it's generally speaking, these are all people really on their own volition deciding what is the best course of actions for me and my family during this enhanced time of risk and you know i my criticism towards government during all this craziness has been they're treating us like children you know paternalism there's no sort of you're adults you can make decisions for yourself you know the we'll educate you on the risk we'll te- educate you on how to protect yourself and make the decisions that are best for you and let businesses you know make decisions if uh, you know what i loved i know i'm sort of kind of going on tirade but when COVID first happened uh, if people remember um government or sorry businesses grocery stores started saying oh all the elderly we're only serving them from you know nine to ten the first hour of the day is for the high risk individuals no nobody mandated that but now that they put in all the mandates that's gone
0: Okay. Okay. So. Okay. So, now let's try to turn to um, a more hopeful, brighter side instead of being a negative (laughs) Nikoloff.
1: Dude, I was so happy in Florida. It was amazing. So it was. uh, If if you're to not be so negative, I'll say go to Florida if you're if you're needing an escape.
0: Okay. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So um, we're here to give you hope because hope is dope. All right, 2021, uh, looking towards a better year. Although low-key, 2020 was a blessing for me. But this is not about me. This is about you. This is about <laughs> you guys and um, looking at 2021 uh, and having hope in light of COVID. So what the angle that we're going to take with this episode is we're going to look at how historically... How um, innovation, the industrial revolution, has helped us to get to a point of getting closer to a solution to uh, COVID nineteen, and that there is a brighter side to um, life in regards to coming to a solution to um, getting over this whole COVID pandemic thing. So the things we're gonna talk about is healthcare and how that's improved, work, how that's improved, Um, sociality, how that's improved, and how um, spiritually uh, we've improved. Right? So the key question that we want you guys to think about as we go through this episode is, was there a better time to be alive? Uh, Now, um, I, I... I like to follow uh, the Fraser, the good people at the Fraser Institute, and I, I take a lot of their online student courses. And so there was a course called The Brighter Side of COVID-19 with Marion Tupi. And so... It'll and be in that, the
1: show notes page if you want to watch it for yourself.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was really good. And so... For those of you who don't know, Marion Tupi is the editor of humanprogress.org, which is a really cool website you should check out. So he's a senior fellow at the the Center for Global Liberty and Prosperity and the co-author of uh, Simon Project. Uh, He specializes in globalization and global well-being and the politics and economics of Europe and Southern Africa. Uh, His articles were published in the Financial Times, the Washington Post, Los Angeles Times, the Wall Street Journal, The Atlantic, Newsweek, the UK um, uh, Spectator, uh, Foreign Policy, and various other outlets. So he's been in the United States, overseas, he's appeared on BBC, CNN, CBN, all that stuff, great stuff. Okay, so he wrote an article called uh, COVID-19 Should Make Us Grateful for Technology. So we'll be discussing that and also um, his his um, lecture that I that I was a part of, and so the key thing is, again, was there a better time to be alive? So what we what we see that um, one of the main arguments he makes is that healthcare has improved because of the innovation and in being able to have better computers, which helps us to process information faster, right? So, so because of, well, first of all, first of the, the perspective that he takes is that from the time of the time of Christ, there were 300 million people in the world. Uh, today, we're, we're at 7.8 billion. So the population has grown. And we did an episode in um, um, a couple episodes ago about um, a population growth. And people being worried that there isn't enough um, land and we're going to die because there's just too many people. But he's arguing that uh, with the 7.8 billion people, when you have more people, um, people not just are extra mouths to feed, but they actually bring ideas and they bring innovation um, and they make uh, life better. The more people you have, the more ideas. So because of better ideas, now we have people living longer than they used to. Right. So, so that's kind of the angle with the better health care. So, with more people, better ideas, and people live longer.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and I heard it recently. Um, I don't know which podcast I was listening to. I'm this bad. But, anyways, that like in the last, you know, couple of years, our, our average age has grown significantly. Um, you know, it was like literally increasing from like, low 70s to basically 80 is the average death you know or ad- average age of death i think it was like 72 and now it's pushed up to 80 and that's only been in recent years um and the simplest cause is is technology i mean i'm simple in the sense of i'm, I'm just drilling it down there's different innovations that are leading to those um increases you know from you know healthcare to also food and and different things. so
0: Yeah. But I I would also add that uh, he talks about diseases. So he asked the question in the lecture, which communicable disease killed the most people in human history? And so he lists uh, six, right? So there's smallpox, there's malaria, HIV AIDS, number three, uh, Ebola, number four, typhoid, and... Cholera, sorry, is that cholera?
1: Corella, I think is what it was. Yeah, and typhoid. Yeah,
0: yeah, and so and so he was talking about uh, how long it took for us to come to um, the, you
1: know, how long those diseases have been around before some sort of solutions get derived, right? So malaria was the oldest one, and you know, just think of anti-malaria. And, and HIV and AIDS was on there, too, right? Um, and so, like, you know, it's... A, and now, if I understand correctly, you know, AIDS is no longer considered a death sentence. Or maybe it's HIV. I don't remember that. Right? Right. So, like, yeah. the, the idea of, you know... The, I think the reason I want to jump on that one is because um, his point was sort of demonstrating that, you know, malaria has been around for thousands of years, since the, the beginning of man um he made a reference to like the there was a mosquito in amber that they found malaria in from you know millions of years ago as he put it the the malaria has been around forever and we only recently have come up with you know solutions i'll say and then aids sort of being on the other end of the spectrum of something that we've very quickly you know been able to remove the idea of a death sentence um Right. So I think those two just demonstrate a really good um, polar opposites um, from yes. his list.
0: Yes. So the answer is um, malaria. It's malaria, which um, was the communicable disease that killed the most people in human history. And that took us about, what was it? It was 1,471 years to come to a solution. Now, in his chart, the long... No, that's that's measles. Okay, yeah, sorry, that was me. On his chart. Yeah, I know, malaria is like
1: basically all of human history is, is sort of his point, whereas um, the other diseases are like 3,000 years. So malaria is the, the longest one. It's not even on his chart because there, it's it's so far, it would make everything else disappear on this chart that you're looking at. Mm-hmm. But he's also talking about vaccine development on on the chart you're looking at, Darnell, and and so you know polio he references took fourth thirty four hundred years to come up with a vaccine, you know rubella and the dipy- dip- diphtheria he's saying like four hundred years three hundred years and that's just basically from the time we discovered it until um, you know the the solution. But, but the reason I wanted to focus, uh, to some extent, I was focusing on the uh, the, the other aspects of the chart um, was because, you know, HIV and AIDS go and, and malaria, technically they don't have anything that is going to make them, you know, uh, you know the vaccine argument is that we can eradicate something. Well, both malaria and AIDS, we don't have something to eradicate, um, but I think those sort of demonstrate an alternative um, mm-hmm. where we have mm-hmm. a solution, but it took one took. 10,000 years to come up with a, a solution and an and AIDS took 40 years or, or, you know, I'm, I'm rounding, but you know, something that was considered a death sentence no longer, um, or, or people's lives are extremely extended when discovered. Um, and yeah, so, you know, from a, from a healthcare perspective, I think those two demonstrate how, you know, pre 1900, even how little we knew with healthcare, right? Like how little healthcare was able to help us. And, and not in, in the sense of extending life and in the sense of curing things, you know, the the uh, medical advances are continuing to grow. And this to some extent corresponds also with the population of the world.
0: Yeah. yeah, most definitely. So like when we look at the point that we're living at right now, there's no greater time in the world and in the world history to fight a global pandemic. So when we look at work, and I think, and I think that's also helpful because when we look at where we are in history, like yes, yes, um, you know, COVID is, is 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 we're present in the midst of COVID, but we're still able to work because like one third of people are able to work remotely and work from home because of technology, right? So the greater access to the, to the internet, so that way we can share information, right? When news travels slow. Uh, people die but because of the internet news travels fast on regards to who's developing what um, what's working what's not working and then we can have a a quicker cycle of trial and error versus like let's say uh, 500 years ago where you know if there's if there's um, a plague uh, of sickness going around it's hard to um, communicate okay well hey don't come to this area hey this is working this is not what this is not working. Uh, So because of better technology, we can get to a solution faster.
1: Yeah. I mean, technology, you know, is, it has so many layers to it, right? It also increases the communicability, right? So think about in the past, a pandemic, you know, you couldn't necessarily get a worldwide pandemic with, you know, pre-1900s when it took someone, you know, they were trans, you know, crossing on a boat, as opposed to flying, right? Um, you know, outbreaks would have been very limited, right? So there's, there's, I'm sort of presenting the, the opposite side of it too, right? The fact that we have so many flights and so much transportation around the world, the ability to spread a disease around the world is also increased.
2: Hmm. Hmm.
0: And 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 that's important because, like, if you think about it, you know, uh, better computers. That way, we can um, punch in a genetic code for COVID, and then we can match it up with uh, potential drugs that can that can help right so these these things are um important when we're thinking about where we are right now in history in regards to fighting this
1: yeah and i mean you know it's sort of related but you know the 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 data that we have you know regardless of where you stand on uh let's say government response and let's say government use of data as most people would know where i stand if they're on my facebook page um the the data is going to exist the data is something that five years from now when i would argue this becomes less politicized hopefully the the facts will start to bear themselves out because that this data the way we can run these you know algorithms and different things like through systems and and regression models in order to actually um evaluate things and and you know in in, statistical terms is idea of like deliminating the data where we start to isolate the multiple variables. Right. So, um, I mean, I recently remember reading something about, you know, vitamin D deficiency was common in 80% of patients, right. And, and, or or people with, um, I think that died of COVID. And so, you know, things along those lines, as we continue to decipher the data, dig through, understand this, you know, it, it also allows us to, you know, learn faster right one of the my, i would say my criticism of all of this was that we didn't we you know government responded as in a manner that wasn't hey let's pause things so we can learn um you know there wasn't a, a caution because we need to learn about the disease we need to learn how fast it spreads um that sort of was taken a backseat to some of the other things but i would argue that the more we progress the more quickly let's say a, a, a virus could be identified and You know, what's the, the, the spread ratio or who, what, what populations are at risk, um, because to be honest, I would say Darnell, the one thing, you know, we're sort of talking about hope, but I would argue the biggest part of hope is that with more computing power, we are going to continue to learn more about the body. I would argue we are actually still exceptionally ignorant about so much of how the body works. And, and that's because, you know, most of our, our, our information comes from a very like trial and error method, you know, the, the statistical double blind placebo study type stuff, as opposed to, you know, let's say actually deciphering the genetic code. Um, and, and hopefully as we continue to improve computer, you know, technology and power, um, you know, some, the, the level of information that we start to have about the body, um, continues Mm -hmm. to grow. Uh, exponentially,
0: yeah. but like I was saying before about like when we look at work, and now most people are able to work from home and still be able to make an income during this during the lockdowns in this difficult time. So he writes in his article that the service sector today consists of jobs in the information sector, so investment services, technical and scientific services, healthcare and social assistance services, as well as in the arts, entertainment, and recreation. Right, so you got these online trainers and all this stuff, but uh, most of these jobs are less physically arduous, more intellectually stimulating, and better paid than either agricultural and manufacturing jobs ever were. So, crucially, man, many, sorry, crucially, many of these service sector jobs can be performed remotely. That means that even in the midst of the government-imposed economic shutdown, some work—about a third, estimates suggest. Can go on. The economic losses of COVID nineteen, in other words, will be astronomically astronomical, but not total.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I would just qualify that to say uh, some of those economic costs are due to government response and not due to COVID. But anyways, what I think is important, uh, you know, your point, you know, sort of the way you you started this episode about, you know, is there ever a better time to be alive, or? or Uh, And or also about, you know, we're in a place where we are most equipped to, to, you know, handle a pandemic like this. What I think is important to remember is also, you know, for most people that, you know, we don't even perceive what the world was like a 100 years ago. We forget. Well, it's not even that we forget. We didn't even know. Right, we need to go read a book and try to comprehend life experiences when ninety-five percent of the world had to work that day in order to feed themselves.
0: Right, of course, of course. And what's fascinating is that, um, yeah, no, we we've come a long way. Um, and if you think about, like, for example, uh, in the fifteenth century, England, disposable income about eighty percent of it would go to food because people will say food is expensive now, but you know, in the 15th century, it was 80% of your income that went towards food. But now today people spend 5% of their income on food. Right. And so And it's not even just that, but you know, our food has gotten better. We've gotten smarter about how to eat and how to, uh, you know, build up our immune system through eating properly. So again, like, there's no better time. And
1: it's all our food has also gotten worse at the same time. Well,
0: well, hey, 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 it depends. It depends. Well, my my point is like, hey, don't be a negative, Nicklof, man. No,
1: no, no. But but my point is that yes, we we have we have now the ability to like. You know uh grow crops that are more efficient in this or not even efficient think of like bananas right like we've made them straighter through you know uh intentional cropping let's just call it um you know different my point is that yeah we can make food better but we also have you know cereal boxes as my father used to say you'd be better off eating the box (laughs) um
0: I'm going to use that one in the box.
1: You know, my point is to say like, you know, we're, we now, you know, there's a level of abundance where, um, you know, we food is gluttonous for the most part. Um, and, and I think. Or you mean people are gluttonous. No, but, but like for the, my, my point is that when food was 80% of your income, You didn't eat food for gluttony. It wasn't even an option unless you were a king, Mm. Mm -hmm. right? Like for 95% of the population, food as gluttony was not even comprehensible. Whereas I would argue today for 90% of population, food as gluttony is probably a regular occurrence. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm just using the example of eating a bag of chips as I'm not saying gluttonous in a sinful manner, but, like, it's pleasure. It's, you know, I'm not eating it because I need to sustain myself. I'm eating it because I want mouth pleasure. Like, I want to taste things that are enjoyable. Um, you know, I want to tantalize my my senses. Yes, um, yes. And, and so, you know, there's there's a spectrum there with food. And, and the idea, though, is that why I brought up, you know, 95% of the world having to work to feed themselves was also... So much before the you know industrial revolution in ter- in terms of efficiency of industrial revolution farming
0: is eighteenth um, is century. Just in case people are thinking, when does that start?
1: And 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 so the idea that not your entire family is on the farm, right? Like we don't need vast portions of the population to grow food. Mm-hmm right is what is like the reason why you're allowed to you can work on a computer today instead of going to the field right because we have machinery and industrial revolution we can thank now people want might want to argue about some of the there's some potentially arguable or debatable content that's not the point the point is the result of the industrial revolution is now farming which is fundamental for human life, no longer requires a significant portion of the population. And this goes back to his point about more people isn't inherently a problem. More people creates more, uh, yes, more mouths to feed. Mm -hmm. But when I've made feeding mouths more efficient, it also creates more people to do more things. Um, And so, you know, I can pay someone to do my plumbing, because I don't want to deal with it. <laughs> and and someone can specialize in it and do it well. Right.
0: Right, no. And so here's a fun fact about um, food. The USDA recommends 2,000 calorie diet per person per day on average. So what's the calorie supply in sub-Saharan Africa today? And so in, in the survey, he put, um, there's five. If you want to write these down. So there's five options. There's 1,000 calories per day, 1,500, 2,000, 2,500, or 3,000. So again, the USDA recommends um, 2,000 calorie diet per day. So what's the calorie supply in sub-Saharan Africa today? And so the correct answer, so if we're 2,000, um, everybody voted um, in in the um, seminar today, uh, 2500 but the correct answer is 3000.
1: No, well, I'm going to correct you cuz I just listened to it.
0: Yeah, well, no, I'm not done talking. The,
1: okay, fine. Yeah. Go ahead.
0: <laughs> I'm not done talking, man. So, okay, okay. um so he goes on to say, "Well, the um the reason why, well, of course, so so the correct answer is 3000, but the reason why um their calorie intake is higher than ours is because of um obesity." And um, our our high our, our very high calorie intake, like Joel was saying, but yeah, go ahead, Joel.
1: So uh, he was talking about production. Um, so the produ- the question was the the recommended uh, consumption is two thousand. The production capacity of sub-Saharan Africa. Most people would put put a very low number. They put the they pick the lower yes. ones, thinking of poverty. Yes. Yes. But in reality, they have a production of 2,500. The rest of the world average is 3,000. And so what his point was that sub-Saharan Africa produces enough food in and of themselves to feed all the people. Now you could get into the idea of how do you get it to everybody because of, you know, uh, let's say, you know, a less built up society in you know, third world country sort of problems. Um, you know, it's 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 a surprise. He said, I think only twelve percent of the the audience or the people got the right answer mm-hmm. um, on that survey. Mm-hmm. But in in the other side of it is in North America, we produce three thousand. We only need to eat two, and we we actually consume much more than the two. And your answer of obesity is, <laughs> you know, goes back to the gluttony discussion. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but what's intriguing and what's important, I think, and maybe there's a different part of the the, the that that me and you are referencing. But what I found really intriguing was that, you know, I was, I was not guessing that they were overproducing the needs because of what we hear about with like world vision, compassion, Canada, like these organizations that are helping third world countries, right. With regards to starvation and feeding, um, I would not have expected that they were producing more per person than the what's recommended from a, a healthy adult yeah, diet. So
0: so we are doing better. We are doing better. Um now now the next point is sociality and how we interact with each other socially and that's improving. So yes, yes, in light of, you know, the lockdowns it sucks. But what what people have been doing now is um actually cherishing <laughs> um though those moments that you do have with people face to face and you know when that day does come I I think we'll um when when um COVID will be behind us we'll definitely um take those not take those moments for granted when we're with people but in light of the technology that we do have um as much as I'm annoyed as much as I'm annoyed and it's just me and I don't put that on on the listeners it's just me but um Sometimes I, I get I I'm a, I'm a bit zoomed out. Um in <laughs> in light of in light of this um you know Christmas holiday and being on lockdown and everybody wanting to do family um dinners Zoom calls yeah zoom dinners and 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 zoom birthdays um yo don't message me man. <laughs> like <laughs> uh,
1: dude I'm the same like I don't want none of that like
0: you know someone like you know,
1: at the same time, like I'm appreciative, you know, Jenna's been all over it. Like, you know, it's like we have, get, you know, again, we come here, my mom has gifts for us, stockings, like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, you know, yeah. Okay. I want to be appreciative of, of that. And so like, yeah, you know, we FaceTime or, you know, Facebook chat, call my mom and, and, you know, she watches the kids open their gifts and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there's, there's value there. Oh, your, your mom did of that. that. We, yeah, oh, yeah. man, yeah. that's
0: super mom, man. <laughs> super oh,
1: my grandma. mom, dude, my mom is, my mom's, my mom, dude, I told you, my, when I got home, my mom had my my fridge full of food for us. Oh, like, we gave her gosh. a grocery list and she went shopping for us because, like, we're trapped in our house for 14 mm-hmm. days. Mm-hmm. No, know, but, uh, but even the, the
0: fact, that, you know, even, even the fact that she wanted to see, you know, your kids open, open the gifts.
1: Well, but that's where, like, I would say Jenna, my wife, is, like, overly intentional to be, like hey I want to show your mom mm-hmm. appreciation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so make sure we don't open them until you know we can have a, a, a video call with oh them Okay, yeah, no, right so annoyed. like <laughs> no and, but that's where it's like I'm like I don't really you know part of me's like I don't really care and, and uh, similar, actually no right? he does with, care
0: Jetta he really does care
1: <laughs> no no but what I mean is I'm agreeing with with you that like I'm zoomed out right like with work we have zoom calls like when I was in Florida a couple times like I had a, a couple really big meetings and I, I was like a hour zoom call and i was like i got off the and i'm like my face hurts mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like i you know I, i'm done with this right but like you know it's i i actually prefer like of, of all the zoom stuff you know haven't we've had friends that we've played like you know some online games with so we'll do a zoom call and then play a game online with mm-hmm. them at the same time yes like i've been more appreciative of those things because it's like there's no like necessity to it we're doing it to have fun to make the best of the situation but the like you know the christmas stuff like you know oh i gotta have a zoom call with this person i gotta have it just seems so like obligatory um and that's where it's just like man Mm -hmm. we can't be together like let's just get together when we can get together you know and and so in that sense because I think to your point, like I value the fellowship so much more, whether it's, you know, in a Christian context, but also in friend context, because, um, you're realizing how much nothing is the same, yes. right? Like, you know, phone calls are good, but I'd rather be sitting there next to a buddy of mine, drinking a beer, having the same conversation. It's yeah, funny
0: because even like, um, in light of, um, thanks coach, the other podcasts that I do. You know, guys have been messaging me. They're like, oh, so, you know, when are you going to do season two? And honestly, I'm like, you know, I love the face to face one on one interaction. And so whatever interviews I do with the guys, I always want to do it in person um, versus on the line. Because even like there's a lot of podcasts on YouTube. Right. And they're doing it um, virtual. And I hate it. I hate it so much because I'm like, man, this interview. I keep every interview I watch. Man, this would have been so better if those guys were in the same room. Oh man, this guy's audio sucks. This guy's camera sucks. And actually, you know what? I, you know what? Can I, can I, Joel? Can I just take about you know thirty seconds to be a negative negro in light of 2021 <laughs> COVID?
1: Uh, I, I've I've taken up enough time already for for I'll, both just of us, a little us. Go little, ahead. Just, I'll just, give you. Some, I'm sure the audience just, will give you some grace.
0: Just little. <laughs> One of the reasons why I do not like zoom is because I'm black. (laughs) Okay. Now, for those of you guys who don't understand what I mean by that is like, yo, if you don't have good lighting, like white people can get away with doing zoom calls at any time of the day. But if the sun's gone down and my lighting sucks and I'm going to do zooming, (laughs) like I'm going to look like I'm just going to look like just really dark, like. Like, and there's nothing wrong with being dark skin, but I mean, like, I'm looking like Daffy Duck with his beak shot off, <laughs> like that kind of black. And it's, it's just not flattering. So I'm always reluctant when people are like, oh, yeah, let's do a Zoom. Let's do a Zoom. And I'm like, the lighting isn't do exactly. I have to? This isn't flattering. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, don't do a YouTube. I'm like, well, I don't I don't have a halo light, man. Like, like black people just can't just jump on Zoom and, <laughs> and, and, and make it work right you gotta have the lightning's gotta hit our skin in a certain way man but anyways all right b- b- back to being hopeful for 2021 but <laughs> but as, as far um in his article he says that um so sociality and human beings are inseparable as we have all been clearly re- reminded by the sudden restrictions on our ability to interact with others As we sit at home, working away on our computers or watching television, most of us feel a tremendous sense of isolation, social distancing, from our family, friends, and colleagues. The urge to be around others is innate in us. It is who we are. Dissatisfied with the impersonal modes of communication, such as email and texting, we have rediscovered the need for a face-to-face interaction with our fellow humans, Uh, to the end we utilize digital platforms such as Zoom, Google Hangouts, Facebook Live, and FaceTime to catch up on the latest news in other people's lives, or simply to complain about the misery of loneliness and the pathetic inadequacy of our public officials of both parties. <laughs> but I'm pumped. But yeah, but um, even like um, when we um, when we do actually get around people, when we do have those times, um, it's definitely uh, precious and you know, I have friends, I have friends that, um, when I do see them, you know, we kind of look at each other and we just hug and we're like, come on, man, Leo, just, just hug me, man. And we just hug. Um, and you're just like, wow, man, I totally miss that. I miss, yeah, I never thought I'd say that, but yeah, I, I miss hugging when I as a teacher, as a teacher, um, when I was in my class, um, you know, before Christmas break, and I'm in a class of 28 kids. Um, and and what I noticed was that, like, especially the boys, especially the boys in the classroom, like, they couldn't get enough of physical contact. Like, like they like to huddle up a mm. lot. So there's no social distancing being done. Um, and, and it's not, you know, as much as you tell them, like, you know, boys are just generally... Um, you know, they'll huddle up or they like to br- brush and bump each other, you know, like, br- like, like bump somebody's shoulder and like, Hey, yo, what are you doing, man? Just, th- there's just constant wanting to be, um, around each other and, and, the in the face-to-face interaction and in the actual dealings of not necessarily touching each other, but actually like, you know how guys do, you know how guys do like a, a shot in the arm, a brush on the shoulder. Um, and so forth. So I I noticed that those guys were kind of craving that, that kind of interaction. So that's something we're definitely missing and something that we're definitely not going to take for granted, uh, going forward.
1: Yeah, no, I, uh, I, I can definitely agree. I mean, you know, when, when, when the lockdowns or, you know, when things were, man, being able to play hockey once a week, honestly, everybody on my team was like, I need this. I need this. Mm Like we we were allowed to play over the summer, man. I had to be basically become a, a an exhibitionist because we had to get changed in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. Like you know, basically put on all our gear with the exception of our our skates and gloves and and helmet mm-hmm. and walk into the rink. Mm-hmm. You know, and like most of the guys were like, "Whatever, I got to do, man. I just want to play. Mm-hmm. I just want to play." Mm-hmm. Like and there's the camaraderie side of it. I would say, like I've always had, you know I've been with this team. You know, a buddy of mine I've been running the team for like a decade and and we've always had a really good you know community you know community or like the room has just been 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 great and and so you know there's the the community side of it but there's you know just just being physical playing sports like oh man team sports is like something I want to do for the rest of my life mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: yeah so yeah, we definitely miss that and hence hence when we watch like sports now it's still weird to watch it without oh, without the fans you are like man this just looks weird
1: yeah, but I mean, even watching it when I can't do it is weird. Uh-huh. Like, I don't have the same level of, like, interest mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when I'm mm-hmm. like, well, you're allowed to play. <laughs>
0: right, right.
1: I don't know. I, I mean, I'm still watching. I'm still interested, but I'm just, it's it's not the same. Yeah. It's not the same. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. So the last thing before we wrap up, spirituality. Um do you, do you want to go first? Yeah.
0: Um, so with, with spirituality, now this wasn't a point on Ted Dupi, um on this wasn't anything on Marion um list, but I thought it was something to add to our list on spiritually how we've improved um, because of COVID, because of you know the the deaths around us and 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 it being a potentially deadly disease. You know, people are thinking deeply about. Um, yeah, where they go when they die and so forth. And so, um, in light of the technology that we have now, um, you know, we have better information, we have uh to research where we are spiritually, what does this religion say? Is the an afterlife? Um, and so for me, um, I felt like well, my grandpa wasn't well and I was worried that, you know, he was gonna pass um and so i wanted to share the gospel with him and so to be honest with you guys um i haven't been on my a game spiritually and um you know the 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 zeal to share the gospel hasn't been there like it has in the past and so when i usually get into a spiritual slump i like to read and take in content that is um christ centered so I always retreat to Christology anything that has to do with the glorification of Christ, I want to take it in because it helps me to um, become sober and realign my thoughts. So anyways, I'm um, while well, I'm not reading I'm listening to podcasts. so I was listening to Bible project and I, I really love the Bible project and they do a very good job of biblical theology which is you know outlining the story of redemptive history. I'm just a nerd for that as well. And so I'm listening to an episode on um the wrath of God as Christ taught it and I'm like, "Okay, man, I'm this is going to give me a kick in the butt that I need to be, you know, passionate and urgent and go preach the gospel to the lost." And then, you know, I'm listening to it and then they were basically, you know, dumbing Heresy. down uh, well 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 there was a lot of things that they were saying that i was kind of like oh, i was taken aback by where they were basically holding to a view called um conditional immortality or or another strand is um annihilationism meaning that hell is not is not eternal and so i hold to a traditional view that um hell is forever And so um, during this time while on COVID, uh, on lockdown, I was doing a lot of reading, um, listening to the rest of their podcasts to kind of see where they were coming from. And it led me down this path of studying uh, the eternality of hell. And it helped me to sober up and really find out what it is I really believe in. And so that was helpful for me because we have all this technology and these resources um to figure out where do we go when we die and so forth. So that that's why I want to bring yeah, it up. Yeah, I
1: mean, you know, I'm uh, with with spirituality I would say like, you know, I think um I've been shocked sort of related, sort of not related. I've been really shocked with a lot of Christians in this time. Um, It seems, in my opinion, that I'm shocked with the level of fear, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and and at the same time, I'll say, like, there's a level that I understand, right? Like, you know, as a parent, I, I fear, I don't fear death, but I fear not being here for my kids. But, you know, from a Christian perspective, we know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding or the beginning of knowledge or you know, where, where is our, what are, what are mm-hmm. we fearful or what do we have reverence to first, right? Do we trust God in the worst case scenario that he will take care, right? He knows the number of hairs on my head, but am I still overly fearful in the world as it is today? Um, And, and I bring that up because I think if, if, the fear of death is something that you're, that currently exists right now because of the pandemic what you said as a response or sorry what you were talking about is the proper response which is urgency to preach the gospel right if you are truly afraid that you're going to die or mm-hmm. people around you are going to die if you're you know biblically minded then the response in my opinion should be to preach the gospel because either i'm using my last days as efficiently as possible for god's glory or i want to preach the gospel before that loved one of mine passes and it seems that so much of our culture has become just afraid and the response is trust the government which I know is a different conversation, but, but, the to me that's sort of like, okay, that doesn't sound like the biblical response to being afraid. It sounds like the man's response to take my fear away.
0: Yeah, no, I would also add Joel to what you were saying. It brought remind me of the verse, First uh, John chapter four verse eighteen. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love, right? Because, like, part of like the craziness that we see people doing is that it's it's out of fear, and then fear only causes us to do <laughs> to do foolish things, and so, I think I think you know when you look at um, yourself as a person, um, and say, so, okay, you know what. I'm, you know what, shoot, I, 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 I get scared too. Like I, I'm, i I, I have an anxiety about dying as well, but I, when I, when I go to the text and I start to reflect and as much as, you know, it's scary as, you know, um, studying hell and the eternality of hell, as scary as it was, it was also very mm. comforting. It was comforting in two ways in that it made me, um, comfort, it made me realize that God is good and he will serve perfect justice to those people who get away with their crimes. Right. So all the people who, who do terrible things and get away with it, cause it does happen. Um, crime does pay in some instances. Um, but in the end, God will do what is right and he'll achieve perfect justice. But also that it's comforting to me that I am, um, perfected by love that I'm not afraid of judgment. Because Jesus Christ has died for my sins, so so judgment hasn't come to me, right? So this is something for me that I was just like, okay, wow. Actually, I I feel a lot better. I feel a lot sober. It it puts things in um, priority. What takes priority right now in my life? I wake up in the morning and I'm like, okay, you know what? Let me pray first. Um, Let me appreciate time with my family. Let me um, share the love of God um, with people who don't know, who don't know. I'm I'm more brave to do right things um and put myself in harm's way to help other people. Mhm. Right? And so that's why um this study of um the eternality of hell was was helpful especially for people who are alone and trying to figure out okay what's going on in the world. I I I thought I thought that um the annihilationism idea and just for people who are kind of wondering so annihilationism um is basically not existing anymore and then um conditional immortality is um you exist for a time and then you cease to exist so so uh, like you go to hell for a time you serve your debt and then and then you you cease to exist and that and that's a view that um that um tim um, Mackey of the bible project holds which i totally disagree with and if you're wondering where he's getting this from um (laughs) so the scriptures so he has he has two like main um hermeneutic principles a hermeneutic is um, a principle in which you use to interpret scripture so he uses one that says um the scriptures that speak of final justice use metaphor and imagery like fire in Mark uh, chapter 9, verse 47 to 48, and darkness in Matthew chapter 8, verse 12. Um, th- so, so the idea of um, the metaphor is a reality that's beyond words. And then the other one is that he uses this, this argumentation where he says, um, nowhere in the Bible does it say God created hell, or nowhere in the Bible does it say Jesus received um, the wrath of God. And that's something he said. He he said those things. Okay, well, in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. He doesn't create hell, right? But instead, he's making an argument that hell comes from human beings and they create hell. uh Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Joel Steen. I'm gonna start calling him Joel uh, He's like, what? <laughs> what you talking about, Willis? <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So so yeah yeah. So the idea and uh, and and I know if I can unpack that further. So the idea, like when you look at the idea of like like his his doctrine of the atonement meaning how god reconciles us to god so he says that jesus christ the son of god his crucifixion is substitutionary in that he is a substitute he substitutes himself with jesus barabbas the son of the father uh the insurgent revolutionary who represents israel and so this is um, this is the substitution he's talking about. So he's not saying, okay, well, the wrath of God was poured out on the son on behalf of um, the people he would come to save. It's more so um, Jesus substituting himself with Barabbas, who whose name is actually Jesus, and Barabbas means son of the father, and Jesus Christ is the son of God. Now, and 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 so I'm not um, straw manning um, Tim Mackey. Um, he's very humble about his stance he's very genuine about his stance and 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 that was helpful and seeing that you know he's genuine about his view even though i i disagree with it so he's he's not like arrogant or sloppy about it yeah so that's where he's coming from which is a bit odd for some people so for some of you guys who are keeping score at home you're probably thinking okay so how is he defining hell? Right, So so Tim Mackey defines hell as hell is about God honoring our decision for a life and identity apart from him. And he gets this from C.S. Lewis where um, C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis talks about hell is God's great um, movement um, or great monument to human free will and choice. Right? So he goes on to say like God's wrath um, and he makes the argument from Romans um, chapter two, where, where it's talking about God turning people over to their sins, and so he says God's wrath is being um, is, is is God's wrath is um, God handing over Gentile um, his people to Gentile nation. Hence, why the Jewish people um, being handed over um, to the Romans if they continue to in their ways. Right? So this is how anger and wrath are thought of in the Hebrew Bible. So we see in the Old Testament, God turning the people over to pagan nations, uh, the Babylonians and so forth, and other nations that oppress them. And then we see in the New Testament, they're being oppressed by the Romans. But also we see on an individual aspect in, in, in Romans 2, um, God turning people over to their sins. So he'll say, yes, the wrath of God is revealed today, mm-hmm. not later, right? Again, I enjoy the Bible project. I think a lot of their stuff, is, well, some of their stuff is good. Um, but <laughs> I didn't say a lot. I had to preface like some of their stuff is good. But the idea is just that, you know, you, you got to be careful what you listen to. Um, and, and in light of COVID-19, you know, death is at everybody's doorstop. Any, anybody can die. Um, we want to make sure that we have our paperwork right. But uh, let me ask you, Joel, what, what, what's your take? What's your what's your, um, um, two cents on the whole thing? I
1: think you know we've sort of talked through you know the reasons to be hopeful you know for the listener who follows my facebook or or you know sees the content i share you'll probably know that um there i would argue there's a lots of reasons to to be concerned and and not so much about covid or 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 what but you know let's say the government's response and you know there's <laughs> there's a tweet recently uh, this guy Zuby, who's like, I think he's a music artist, but I know him more so because of his entrepreneurial stuff. He's like, I don't know how anyone could go through gov- twenty twenty and say, you know what, I need in my life more government. <laughs> um, but, but I think so many people, I I'm, I don't know that that's actually true for them. So, I mean, I, I look at you know the stuff we've talked about with the the reasons to be hopeful but i think the next you know that that to me is what's hopeful for 2025 what's hopeful for 2030 as we continue to move forward and technology and innovation continues to 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 improve life um and to improve the way things work but i think you know 2021 is going to be a really interesting year to 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 see where, you know, does government get put in its proper place um, with regards to when they've overstepped, when they've, you know, violated rights. And in the Canadian Charter's perspective, when they can't make the proper claim that uh, violating one right was justified based on other rights or in the U.S. scenario where they violated inalienable rights uh, unjustly. I think, you know, that's something, you know, when I look forward to 2021, seeing how those things start to play out, hopefully we define, you know, government's role for the future, a future scenario like this uh, to be more clearly defined, because I think it's pretty obvious that uh, this year was the blind leading the blind. uh, And that's pretty, that's been disappointing. What about you, Darnell? What, where is, uh, what's your two cents
0: I think that, uh, you know, if we look back at 2020, um, I think that there were some hidden blessings that came. Uh, these, these, these unique situations that forced us to um, appreciate the small things. And I think appreciating the small things is a big blessing. Um, so, you know, look back, count your blessings from 2020. And in, in light of um, innovation, 2021 Looks bright, so if we look at it, like, like from a Christian perspective, you know, God does not only care about where we go when we die. Um, in light of, you know, studying where we go when we die in hell and the eternality of it, but He also cares about what we do when we wake up in the morning, namely our behavior, our actions, um, actions that promote human flourishing, as He commanded all men to do. Um, in the first great commission in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 to 28, um, which is promoting human flourishing. So we know God has been with us and the earth um, because um, we, we've seen these things come to pass in technological innovation, which has made our life easier, better health care, um, better food, better working conditions, better medicine. right? So these are these are blessings from God that are getting better. Now that now what we also see is that it's also made our lives easier, safer, and it has helped spread um, the saving message of the gospel further and clearer, which goes on to fulfill the second Great commission, which is Matthew uh, chapter 28 verse 18 to 20, which is to go and um, make disciples um, in the name of uh, Jesus. So you know going into 2021, you know, praying for all our listeners thank you guys for all your support for the past uh the past year and yeah i'm i'm excited to see what 2021 brings not perfection but definitely um some advancement
1: yeah and uh you know for for you know this issue if you think there's a you know an aspect of technology that we haven't given a, enough credit to um, you know give us give us your two cents, let us know. Uh, maybe there's there's other aspects of technology uh, or, or you know the world we live in today that you're hopeful for uh, that maybe we can use as a, a launch pad for another episode. So hit us up six sense at gmail.com six sense report on Twitter, Facebook. Yeah, we like we like, uh, like listener inspired topics.
0: All right guys, remember six cents makes change and God loves you
1: make sense?
2: And oh, that God would raise up in this room and across this country and the world, young preachers who leave their hearers with a spiritual sense of shock at the sense of God, some sense of the infinite weight of the glory of God. Of God, that's my longing. That's my prayer. That God would raise up thousands of broken-hearted, Bible-saturated preachers. Who are dominated by a sense of the greatness and the majesty and the holiness of God as he has been decisively revealed in Jesus Christ through the gospel of Christ crucified, risen and reigning today over all nations, all armies, all cancer cells and all politics and all churches and all false religions that there would be a, a gripping of pastors today of the amazing weight of the absolute claims of the lordship of christ over the nations and over everybody in your city they will bow or they will burn